The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Lift your eyes up, let your eyes rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the beast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up, when famine claims millions, when justice gives and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with New Abolitionist in Action Issue Hannah Nelaya and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is February 17, 2016, Black History Month. And we'll have on New Abolitionist Radio a clip that we'll play from MSNBC where our comrade and fellow New Abolitionist Muadine Dibaha takes on CEO and president of the National Urban League, Mark Morial, face-to-face in a must-hear confrontation about modern-day slavery and the complicity of the black political establishment in mass incarceration. In another clip, Attorney General Loretta Lynch threatened a lawsuit in federal district court against the city of Ferguson, Missouri, alleging a pattern and practice of law enforcement conduct that violates the First, the Fourth, and the Fourteenth Amendments of the Constitution and federal civil rights law. Meanwhile, not too far away in Oklahoma, a newly released report by the Vera Institute of Justice clearly shows how the stacking of fees, fines, and bail amounts to what has turned an Oklahoma County jail into an overcrowded debtor's prison, another series of constitutional violations. Two state lawmakers want to make resisting arrest a felony. They believe it would lower the chance of it happening, but opponents say resisting arrest charges are already dropping and that the charge is already widely misused. Acting as deadly tax collectors and enforcers for corporate interests, seven U.S. Marshals armed with automatic weapons arrested a black Texas man for not paying a $1,500 student loan from three decades ago. Also caught in a heartbreaking video, a large U.S. manufacturer, the Carrier Air Conditioner Company, recently gathered all of their employees together to inform them that the entire plant was being moved to Mexico. If time allows us to comment on the story, we'll explain what this has to do with modern-day slavery. Everything. This week's rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Daniel Villegas, this the, uh, Hispanic man who was imprisoned after confessing to a brutal crime that he didn't commit. Bullied him, uh, by police into making a confession, Villegas was only 16 years old at the time and became one of the Clinton's Many wrongly accused super predator examples. It cost him 20 years of his life. 
Our abolitionist in profile tonight is Charles Lewis Reason, 1818 to 1893, a political activist and abolitionist. Reason played a prominent role in the Negro Convention movement in New York. Expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. We invite you to join the conversation by calling us at 1-641-715-3660, extension 549-032-POUND. Just press star 6 and 1 to queue up from the conference line. Peace, Brother Scotty. You know that track you played earlier, man? We did that joint back in 2007. And just in January, they gave me an award for it being 12 weeks straight among the top 20 of all urban tracks. Really? That, that's one of my favorite yeah. tracks, man. I love that track, Freestyle. I, at first, I thought that was your wife that was doing it with you, but, you know, you, you told me that was another uh, uh, artist. But I love that track, yeah. man. I love that track. That beat is tight. Y'all flowing together. It's like, man, I love that track, man. Yeah, it's one of my favorites, too. Shout out to Nikki Nichelle out in Cleveland, Ohio, who uh, uh, collaborated with me on that track. It's pretty awesome. Freestyle. Um, it's good to have a voice. <laughs> it's good to have a voice, man. I, I worked all night last night on a new project that you've probably already seen uh, called The Real Super Predators. And hopefully that uh, a lot of people will see that and they'll have some kind of impact on the decision here in South Carolina with the voting processes that are coming up. Because what I put into that video, and it's only six minutes long, will show you that they should be in prison, yes. not out here looking for folks. Yes, I saw the video. I shared the video, uh, posted it to our Facebook page, Black Talk Radio Network. Other people have seen the video. And, you know, that is as media producers. And I guess you would even say as an artist, Mac, as a, as Max, as a spoken word artist, but as media producers focusing on the serious uh, societal uh, governmental issues that we focus on, man, it is really our duty to inform uh, those who are not really being informed by so-called mainstream media. As Michelle Alexander recently lamented in saying that the high support that Hillary Clinton has reportedly, even though I don't put a lot of stock in polls, but reportedly has in the black community among black voters that she said that's proof that the corporate media isn't doing its job in informing um, the voters about who did what, who stood for what, who passed what. And just that's our job, man. We got to inform whoever will listen. Right. And, you know, the whole media situation is a, really a violation of the First Amendment right. And it can be shown in the example of Byron Allen's lawsuit right now against the federal government because they've shut out 100% owned black media, completely shut it out. Oh, so no, that's not against provide. the U.S. government. That that was against... Uh, uh, against you, uh, you, right, right, right. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, corporate but, uh, media. Uh, they're in collaboration with yeah. President Obama right now where uh, I think it's, what, what is it, Unicom? That is uh, his biggest contributor ever. I'm sorry, you Comcast, lost him. Comcast. Yeah, Comcast. He also sued AT&T. Um, and he might have also sued Time Warner C Cable. But he also uh, sued the NAACP and Al Sharpton in that same lawsuit, saying that right, the right. corporations, the uh, you know communications corporations, uh, basically were paying off Sharpton and the NAACP 
not to, you know, publicly discuss boycotting or, uh, you know, donating money to their foundations for them not to address uh, racism in advertising and, and as it pertains to independent uh, black media. Um, and I think right. one of those companies actually uh, settled out of court with him. I think it might have been AT&T settled out of court with him and picked up several of his independent um, uh, programs produced by his media company. But see, um, the Black Talk Media Project, which most people who listen know, manages the Black Talk Radio Network. See, this is why we rely on people to donate to our nonprofits because we are not going to be going after advertisers and, and big and Walmart to take an ad out on our network because it goes against our principles, what they stand for in terms of using prison slave labor or any of these Fortune 500 companies. You will never hear ads on this station from those companies. And so, right. you know, that's why it's then, important. You know, companies like our, our organizations or companies like what we have here at the Black Talk Radio Network are, are so rare and so important because it's a truly unadulterated black voice from a black-owned network, 100% black-owned. And if you look at all these medias, yes, there are a lot of uh, people of color who are spokesmen on these uh, media uh, outlets, but they work for white-owned media who right. limit what they say. Don't right. say anything out of line, you'll get fired, and you know it. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they right. know that. So you can only say what they allow you to say. Right. That's not how it is here. And we need that type of we need support. We would we could use some of those billions that Byron Allen is reaching out for. That's what we could use. Yeah, yeah. Because I would certainly lo love to get started uh, building independent uh, black media stations in communities, not just one national radio station like Black Talk Radio, but going into these communities and and setting up shop so that people part of that community can you know take to the airways and and talk to their fellow community uh members about the issues that's important to them and so certainly you know in two decades scotty reed i would love to look backwards and see that the black talk radio network has become what bet should have become mm -hmm. yeah um, definitely, we're a nonprofit. We're not in it to make money, and that's what happened to BET. They got sold out when BET first started. It was a pretty good network, you know. They had team-oriented programs and discussions yeah, about right. important issues and and whatnot. And uh, but ultimately, you know, it was all about them dollars, and they sold the company to Viacom. Uh, which is run by by this white man, and now you know the uh, programming that they have isn't as balanced as what it used to be when they first started. And even uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Bob Johnson's wife, I think it's Sheila Johnson. Um, Sheila Johnson. Yeah. yeah, she helped found BET, and and since they sold it, she has publicly stated how you know the network went downhill. And you know right. the the destructive program. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Right. When I was raising my children, uh, I didn't let them watch it either. Once it got to a certain point, we weren't allowed to watch BET uh, anymore. It was just too too much. It was leading the kids' minds in directions I did not, not want my children to go. 
Right, right. And so it is important, man, that we use technology uh, to the best of our ability to be the media that we want to see. And this is a news and information uh, program. And where else are you going to tune in on your radio dial or uh, turn on your television and see people talking about 21st century slavery and human trafficking, providing you with context and factual evidence that these people still practice in slavery. And that's what makes that first story that we're going to cover with Brother, uh, 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 how you pronounce it? What's his last name? Dibaha. Dibaha. Yeah, when Brother Dibaha, that makes it just so much rare. I, I can't think of another time I've heard somebody mention 13th Amendment legalized slavery on a corporate news program. So, man, that, that was just so exciting to see that. But we have been seeing it crop up in other what could be called mainstream media. We had Angela Chan on the network. She wrote an article for the Huffington Post lamenting and pointing out that slavery was never abolished in the exception clause of the 13th Amendment. And she was saying even in terms of immigration detention facilities that there that that isn't even legalized slavery. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that, right. It's just matching people up. Yeah. And putting them to work and, and you know, all of that. So, yeah, man. Um, hey, um, that's going to be a great story because uh, – as you know, we've worked, we've had him here on the show several times, and uh, he considers me a mentor. And we work side by side, and been in very many very exciting circumstances, up to and including him being kidnapped right while we were there on the Fourth of July in Columbia, South Carolina. Right. The day where he stood in that cop's face and said, "We are going to burn white supremacy down. We are equal, brothers. We are going to end white supremacy. That's his goal, and I believe he means it." Yeah, I remember that video. Uh, U.S. senators speak now, and who knows? Maybe one day a brother like that could be the next president with freedom on his mind. Yeah, you know, if the revolution don't happen first, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is brother uh, Johannes in yet? He said uh, let me let, let me check. Uh, no, he he hasn't called in as of uh, yet. All right, yeah. So I'm, I'm so proud of this brother, and you know what? Even made me prouder is that. He faced off against the CEO and president of the National Urban League, Mark Morial. And to watch Mark Morial's face, that whole party, I'm so much better than you face, I control everything face, and have Murat Bean break it down to him that, brother, you don't control what you think you control. There is a movement happening that you are not a part of. You are in opposition to it. We're looking for freedom, and you're looking to secure a position. And I, oh my God, it's just, it's just a magical moment. You know what I mean? And yeah, world, should we go ahead and jump into that first story? Yeah, I, I, let's do that. I'm sure uh, Johanna has already watched it, so his commentary should be available as well. Yeah, he hasn't, unless I'm not, unless he's calling in from a number I don't recognize. Uh, Johanna, uh, when you join us, hit star six and one so I can uh, identify uh, which is your number and we'll get you unmuted but uh yeah this is uh, a video uh brother uh say his first name Muradin. again <laughs> and he was on msnbc 
I don't recognize the host. It was a black male, but I don't really watch mainstream television like that to know uh, who this black man was that was conducting the program on uh, or was hosting the program on MSNBC. Uh, but um, I, I'm going to reserve my comments and let y'all go ahead and take a listen. We'll announce a time to meet uh, with Bernie Sanders, and we've offered the same to all of the Republican candidates as well. Mohideen, you have uh, you have met with with Bernie Sanders in the past, as you know, Eric Garner's daughter Erica has has endorsed him. I want to play with what she told my colleague Casey Hunt earlier today, and talk to you about it on the other side. Here it is. This guy is a protester. So that's what it is for you, that Bernie Sanders is a protester? Yes, and he grew up in the same Brooklyn neighborhood that I'm from. He put his body on the line in Chicago and got arrested when he was about 22 in 1960. He marched with Martin Luther King. He um, stood with Jesse Jackson. So basically, he stood with black people when it wasn't popular. Uh, I mean, it almost it almost sounds uh, sounds like she's saying in that that Bernie Sanders is blacker than Hillary Clinton. I mean, do, do you think that that Bernie Sanders has made an honest, real attempt at, at reaching out to black voters? Most definitely, we sat down and we we actually got to discuss and talk about the political revolution having political equity within it. So that's not a top-down political revolution. That's just for his campaign, but it's an evolution of the movement. Now, for him, he's not as paternalistic and patronizing as Hillary Clinton is. Patronizing being the, the Roman term, patron and client kind of relationships, which the National Urban League and have with Clinton. What makes you say that Hillary Clinton is, 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 is paternalistic? In the way that she addresses the movement, she wants to tell them what to do and how to do. I remember Martin Luther King's quote that some white moderates prefer order rather than the positive presence of justice. And to her, we are not representing a way forward. Our agenda is not good enough. And so she skips over us and goes to the establishment, which is the NAACP, the Urban League, which allowed mass incarceration to happen on their watch. They do not speak for black America. There is a youth movement. We are in the streets. We are not apathetic and we will vote. But we are not being heard, and she is not willing and interested in speaking to our agenda of eliminating the, the, the exemption clause in the 13th Amendment and finally making slavery illegal and a pushing forward campaign zero and being able to put a system of accountability in that will keep tabs on the way white supremacy manifests economically, educationally, politically, and socially as it reproduces itself over and over again. I am the son of somebody who benefited from affirmative action. We have people that are, are, are benefiting from, are not benefiting from mass incarceration. That's a huge chasm, a huge class uh, you schism know, within the black community that is not spoken about. Look, I'm going to reject the idea of division, dividing the black community between various ages, because today uh, we had 30 people under the age of 40, and the National Urban League, the NAACP, the National Action Network, were protesting uh, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, before this most recent, uh, if you will, set of race. So what we need to do is be talking about what the community needs and not turn a election contest between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton into some sort of internal battle uh, within the community. I'm going to reject that and say, 
the African-American community, like every community, is not monolithic. But what we want to do is have a positive exactly. conversation, not a theoretical conversation, about who can exactly. lead the nation and this and who would make the best. Back. Uh, we're, we're, we're going to have to finish this conversation. Candidate. We're going to have to finish this conversation at, at some other point. But again, thank you both for your time, Mark. Always good to see you, President thank of the National Labor League. Uh, the Baja from Black Lives Matter uh, down in Charleston. A big thanks to you as well, sir. Thank you. Man, now ex explosive as those words were, the faces that they were making even made it more so. So make sure you watch the video of what what occurred. Your thoughts, Scotty? Well, first thing I, I would like to say again, that is the first time that I can recall somebody making a connection on national TV uh, between the 13th Amendment and legalized slavery, saying on national TV that uh, slavery was never abolished, okay? And I noticed Mr. Morial didn't have say anything about that. I noticed the black MSNBC uh, showcase His black. Name is Craig Melvin. Craig yeah, Melvin didn't Craig Melvin. didn't even say nothing about that, you know. Uh, and I don't know if it's because it went over their heads or because they already know this. Uh, themselves and they weren't even going to challenge him on that. The only thing that they challenged him on, or I should say Mark Morial challenged him on, is rejecting this notion that there is some sort of division in the black community uh, between people based on uh, their ages and whatnot. And that's not really what, what he said. He did say that there is a youth movement, but he said that the divide is due to classism. Okay, uh, the haves and the have-nots. See, Mark Morial, and you know, I'm not going to demonize Mark Morial, but I will say this about establishment blacks, is that they are the ones who were uh, uh, complimenting uh, Bill Cosby when he gave that pound cake speech, talking, you know what? against poor black people engaging in the same language that Hillary Clinton and right-wing Republicans were engaging in Bill Clinton to in the 1990s, demonizing black folks, super predators, you know. And, and, and so Mark Morial is, is, he doesn't want that to happen, but it's already happening, dude. It's, it's coming. The revolution is coming in terms of a political revolution among uh, black voters is coming and for him to deny uh, that there is a divide is is either him just engaging in disinformation or he's engaging in denial or he just isn't in tune with the black man and woman on the street you know he's more in tune with the black man and woman in the boardrooms and 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 you know uh, working in the government you know, like a Christopher Epps who no longer is the head of Alabama prisons. But you know what I'm saying, Max. The establishment. The establishment Negroes yeah, that's, who... That is who they addressing specifically, too. And, you know, I don't know if you know it or not, Scotty. But the first thing Muhadeen did after the program went off was send me the uncut version, which I just put on New Abolitionist Radio, where he specifically talked about their complicity in mass incarceration. He mentioned that in that clip. That was the unclip. That right, I mean, right. excuse me, that was the uncut court cut version. He's mentioned that it happened on their okay, watch. Okay. 
It happened right, 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 on right. their watch. And it is a fact that only four people who were members of the black uh, or the uh, Congressional Black Caucus, only four of them voted against the mass incarceration bill. Did none of them get on the floor that I have seen on the floor of the Senate and, and or Congress and and argue against the provisions of that bill that Bernie Sanders during that time in the 1990s where we got a video of him on the floor uh, uh, saying that this legislation was going to lead to mass incarceration of black bodies and poor people. That that was back in the 90s. So, you know, uh, Mr. Morial reminds me, and again, I'm not trying to demonize him because I don't know everything there is to know about him, but I do know this. He talked about the young people and whatnot that was marching 50 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever. Well, what did you accomplish with all of that marching? You know, not to not to say that nothing was, was accomplished. They got the voter rights bill uh, uh, passed uh, back then. But that is now under attack with the latest SCOTUS uh, decision. That's the Supreme Court of the United States gutting the uh, uh, Voters Rights Act. And so other than that, I can't think of one single thing that they have done to address the issues of uh, in the black community. Look, police terrorism just didn't start five years ago, 10 years ago, or 20 years ago. It has been going on for hundreds of years on this soil, okay? Uh, the Black Panther Party was addressing, that's why they started to oppose police terrorism. But since then, what have we seen? What have we seen? We've seen people like John Lewis want to uh, uh, embarrass himself by pretending like he knew every last single member of SNCC or who was out there marching hundreds of thousands of people, and he had to backtrack on, on his snide remarks about Bernie Sanders' uh, activism. But look, where is John Lewis now, though? He's part of the establishment, all right? He's part of the establishment, just like Mark Morial is part of the establishment, just like the uh, National NAACP is part of the establishment. Because, see, some people, in my opinion, Max, they don't want to see problems solved because when they see these issues addressed and solved, then they're out of a job. Then, you know, That's the corporations don't conflict, right? Yeah, the corporations don't need them anymore. They don't need to donate money to them to con you know, to control their message or to to control their agenda. And whatnot. So a lot of these people, man, what I call proxy racist, proxy t tools of the racist system, man, in my opinion, they are not sincerely trying to solve the problem because how in the hell, how in the hell can you endorse a woman, okay, who is, who is part of a, a, a duo of two of the, the uh, uh, white people in this country who have probably caused more harm to black people through their political policies than any other two people on the face of the planet. I can't think of two who have done more damage. Not even Ronald Reagan, right? Reagan did damage, but he didn't do as much damage as Bill Clinton and Hillary working with Republicans. So how can you, in good faith and honesty, endorse a woman like that? Well, 
there's some things that I would like to, to mention. Uh, just to carry what you just said. Uh, or, by the way, is Johan in here yet? No, Max. Okay. Just to carry on what you just said. Uh, the clip that I put out, uh, the, the Real Super Predator, shows back-to-back -back how in 1994, while the Clintons was pushing to get tough on crime laws, they were also invested in the Wackenhut Group. The Wackenhut Group launched in 1994 an IPO with 2.2 million shares made available, available, and within four years, they had grown 10 times the amount. It was growing so fast that at the company headquarters, they had a digital chart to show how fast their beds were increasing. Working with this narrative that was put out by the Clintons and even the attorney general of the time, uh, as soon as they went on a public IPO, Wackenhut, joined the board of directors. Right after that, got a job working for the private prison company that they just put into play and used our black bodies as fodder to feed. That is highly criminal. Right. They should be in prison for this right now. And, and Max, instead of standing on some stage. And let's point out, yes. it has been confirmed that that Congressional Black Caucus that endorsed Hillary Clinton took money from that. the Correction Corporation of America. Right. The number one private prison company in the world. And guess who the number two is? Wackenhut is the GEO Group. The GEO Group is the number two in the world. They're the people that own all those prisons out in Australia and have prisons as far away as in Palestine where they're housing prisoners there and making money off juvenile detention facilities. That was Wackenhut. That was the Clintons. They put that all into play knowing exactly what would occur from it. And, and now, I don't see any. I hear that the next, I'm sorry. Huh? I was just going to say, Max, I don't see any justification for accepting that money. You better believe there the Black Talk Media Project needs funding if we want to expand our media operations, you know, nationally, you know, uh, like I discussed earlier. But you better believe if George Zoli came to me with a $1 million check and said, I will donate, donate this to Black Talk Media Project as long as y'all stop talking about mass incarceration and 21st slave, century slavery. Y'all can talk about anything else, but y'all can't talk about that because you're hurting my business. And, and man, do you think I, do you think I would take that money? I don't think you would take it to save your life. Of course I would not take that money, man. So I don't want to hear any excuses like they said, like I've heard from Mr. Gregory Meeks, a representative, I think, out of New York, and he's the chairman of this black political caucus. And, 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 and you know, um, he said we need money to elect black people and, 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 and other candidates who may not be black but work on our issues and, and, align themselves, you know, with our interests and whatnot. But when you look at their campaign expenditures, most of it is on administrative costs and not going towards any campaigns to elect any progressive black leaders. No, it's, 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 it's so, you know, you, you took that money, the Correction Corporation of America didn't give you money just because they want to see black people get elected to Congress. Scott, it is a couple of more important points that came out in that uh, video clip that I want to point out. One is uh, this wasn't his first national or international video. He did a video uh, 
interview with BBC a couple of weeks ago where BBC manipulated him and came out with these dumbass questions like, what about black-on-black crime? Why aren't black people addressing that? And also saying, is it possible that the black communities are just so crime-ridden uh, because of who they are? And he had, the BBC guy had him asking, answering questions like that. And he answered them as best he could, but he allowed himself to be manipulated. And I talked with him about that. That sounds like an ambush. It, that's what it was. And that's what happened here. You just heard it. The first thing that came out of that fool's mouth was Sanders is acting like he's blacker than Hillary Clinton. Who is the blackest? Now, what kind of journalist worth a damn dime yeah. would ask an idiotic question like that? Who's blacker, Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders? No, he, mipi- he, he manipulated... I mean, he act like we didn't just hear what Eric Gardner's daughter said. She didn't say Bernie was the blackest. She said Bernie's a protester like me. He he was protesting this. Work. He was protesting that. And how did how did this fool get out of that? Oh, it sounds like she said Bernie Sanders is blacker than Hillary Clinton. Is Bernie Sanders honestly reaching out to black voters? <laughs> Neither one of them are black people. Neither one of them. Exactly. End the conversation. So for, for somebody to even bring that out shows that you're just setting the stage for fallacy. You're a puppet setting the stage for fallacy. And then later on, when he started addressing mass incarceration and its connection with prisons for profit and the 13th Amendment, the first thing that uh, the head of the end of the, uh, the Mark Morial did, right, was make this face like, oh, look at this young buck trying to try me. Oh, yeah, I and saw that. flatly rejected him. Flatly rejected the idea of abolition as theoretical. There ain't nothing exactly. theoretical about it. And that told me right there that there have been times that they've had to sit down and talk about this. And they said, you know what? This is theoretical. We don't need to get in. Because you, you came out of, you had an answer for it right off the bat. So it hit you already. You know, and this is your reply, that what we're telling you, slavery is legal today and happening right now. And not only in America, but it has gone global. You're saying it's theoretical. No, it ain't theoretical. If it was so theoretical, why did the country of Venezuela doing the universal peer review uh, through the U.N., point to the 13th Amendment and tell the United States to to uh, 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 remove the entire 13th Amendment because you're practicing slavery. That allows for slavery. Ain't nothing theoretical about it. I mean, Michelle Alexander is a law attorney. Um, I, I can think of uh, Angela Chan, another attorney. Uh, I mentioned Michelle Alexander, uh, Dr. Vanilla Randall. Um, we have actually had on uh, other law the abolitionist, <laughs> right the abolitionist attorney. Yeah, uh, uh, Nakima Levy Pounds, attorney hey. of the year in Minnesota. Okay, and and so all of these attorneys have come on this station and told us that we're absolutely right that slavery was never abolished and that that language allows for them to practice slavery through the prison. So I bet you. I bet you. Now, when Michelle Alexander book came out, and I'm I, and and all of these black people was, and I'm talking about all black people that was that was promoting her book, including Mark Morial and saying how great it was, and and and, and all of this and that, and the things they pointed out, 
Well, 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 what happened to that book now? What, you didn't burn the book? Okay. It, it, and there wasn't talking about it being theoretical. It laid out for you the very real path that got us to modern day slavery and human trafficking. There is nothing in America today more well documented than what we're dealing with right now with what is called mass incarceration and policing for profit. There are studies on top of studies. The facts and details have been laid out to the point where they've even discovered that there's million dollar blocks in poor neighborhoods where they make so much money on incarcerating generations of families that the property itself is worth millions of dollars to prison. So we know it all. There's nothing more well documented right now. But I hope I hope that people are taking names and writing them down. Because at some point in the near future, we're going to have to challenge these people. Pending revolution, we're going to have to challenge these people for these positions, okay, for in these elections. Mark, uh, you know, uh, uh, people like Gregory Meeks, he needs to have a challenger when next time his election campaign come, come up. But again, they were trying to play uh, the young brother like he didn't know what he was talking about. Like even asking him, what do you mean paternalistic? And I saw the look on Mark Morial's face like, oh, yeah, that's a good right. question. He's going to stump him there because you know, I guess they're figuring, oh, paternalistic only applies to genders, you know, the male gender. But no, he wasn't talking about male versus female. He was talking about a, a political style or the uh, um, modus operandi of Hillary Clinton and being dictatorial to and patron. Exactly. And, and dictating, not coming to us and saying, you know, well, I would like to get your endorsement. Uh, what are the things you would like to see from my candidacy? If I'm elected president, what are the policies that you think are most important? No, she's not doing none of that. No, they're they're treating him. They treated him just like Hillary Clinton treated the Black Lives Matter uh, protesters in Boston. They got a meeting with her and being condescending and talking down to them like they don't know how to, what's going right. on. That's how that's they try to play that young brother. Out. He said that there's a movement in the streets happening right now, which you are standing in opposition of. You're not helping us. As a matter of fact. You're being manipulated by the very people who are imprisoning us for a profit. He pointed that out just so clearly. Not just. I'm sorry, yes, Max. I, I don't think that they are being manipulated. Not Mark Morial, not Gregory Meeks, not John Lewis. The I don't. Who is in the paycheck? I don't, did they or did they not take money from but the listen, PTA? Manipulating <laughs> manipulating means that you don't know any better. That you are. You know, you don't, you're, I don't, how can I say this in a correct fashion? You're that not. Somebody is manipulating you. It's, it's taking control of you without your knowledge. Right. These people aren't being manipulated. They're being bought. Well, there you have it. And, you know, we, we've already went past our break time, Scotty. Let's go and ahead and take that. Topic, and we're very proud of our brother. At bottom line, we're very proud of our brother. You did your thing. And the page has been turned. Welcome to tomorrow. And it's one last thing, Max. Get worse. Did you catch? Huh? Did you catch his shout out to the Black Panthers? <laughs> uh, break it down for for the listeners. Well, at the end of uh, when he was signing off, 
He threw up the black power fist and he said, oh, yeah, all yeah. power to the people. To the people. Yep. Yeah, I caught that. Mm-hmm. Indeed, man. Indeed. Well, you want to take a break? We're yes, we'll back. just take a short station ID break. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be right back. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Scotty, do we have any callers? Uh, Let me check. Um, No, Johanna hasn't called in and nobody has indicated that they have a question or comment. Man, I always worry about Johanna because, as you said, every time it goes up and down that road, those are cops just waiting there for people, just picking them off. It's just like a, a mat, it's like rolling the dice, just driving to his house and from work. Right. So I'm always worried about him. Anyway, we're gonna move into our next story. Our next story is really, uh, it's, it's very powerful and it kind of keys a lot of the other stuff we're talking about together throughout the night. And that is where Attorney General Loretta Lynch has publicly come out and threatened to sue the city of Ferguson because they failed to uh, commit themselves to doing the suggestions that were proposed to them. <laughs> oh my God, I can't. It's hard to even say that, man, suggestions. But that's basically what happened. They had a list of suggestions that they came up with. They were found uh, blatantly violating constitutional rights of the citizens there. And although they listed uh, several of them, they didn't list all. Like the Sixth Amendment is not even touched uh, uh by the federal government, but the Sixth Amendment is being violated because we know that 97% of all state felony cases end in a plea bargain. That's a violation of the Sixth Amendment. That means that your right to a fair and speedy trial doesn't even exist. And that's happening in Ferguson with prisons and jails for profit, and it was shown. So now they're threatening to sue Ferguson. You want me to roll the clip? clip. Yeah, let's play the clip and hear it with their own words, what they plan on doing. Today, the Department of Justice is filing a lawsuit in federal district court against the city of Ferguson, Missouri, alleging a pattern and practice of law enforcement conduct that violates the First, the Fourth, and the Fourteenth Amendments of the Constitution and federal civil rights laws. We intend to aggressively prosecute this case, and we intend to prevail. The residents of Ferguson have waited nearly a year for their city to adopt an agreement that would protect their rights and keep them safe. They have waited nearly a year for their police department to accept rules that would ensure their constitutional rights and rules that thousands of other police departments follow every day. They have waited nearly a year for their municipal courts to commit to basic, reasonable rules and standards. But as our report made clear, the residents of Ferguson have suffered the deprivation of their constitutional rights the rights guaranteed to all Americans for decades. They have waited decades for justice. They should not be forced to wait any longer. Thank you. In her own words, they're going to uh, pursue it vigorously. Well, this sounds like a bait switch to me, Scotty. You know what it sounds like to me. Let me let me use this analogy. Remember the remember Clive and Bundy over a year ago 
was out yeah. there and his posse was out there uh, pointing guns at law enforcement officers and whatnot. And so then, you know, just until the past few days, we had, you know, p- members of the Bundy clan as well as others uh, occupy this land in Oregon. Now, many people said that the lack of action on the behalf of the federal government uh, to arrest those um, involved with the Clive and Bundy fiasco in, in Nevada the first time emboldened uh, these, these, this current group of, of illegal occupiers, I should say, um, for lack of a better word. The settlers, you know, want wants the federal government to give Indian land uh, to them. Uh, and, and so people said that that lack of action emboldened. And so I'm going to say the same thing in this case. Your lack in the first place, when you first came out with the Ferguson report, and in that Ferguson report, you laid out the patterns and practices of racism and, and whatnot. But you even note that there were uh, um, federal laws that were broken. But did you prosecute anybody? You know, you did not vig- vigorously prosecute not one person. You just allowed them to retire or get fired. Uh, and that was about it. And then you went into this deferred whatever agreement, what they call it, a consent decree. You, 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 you know, wrangle with these races and to go into this agreement. And then a year later, they're backing out. I'm not surprised. What you gonna do? <laughs> you know, what you gonna do to them? What they, they're giving you the middle finger. We not afraid of you, you know, and, and you're weak. So, you know, we gonna do what the hell we wanna do, uh, regardless. And so that's the way I look at it, Max, is, you know, all of this suing. How about some prosecutions? You know, it's a shame that most of the people in this country are locked up over unconstitutional drug laws. All right. That's the vast majority of the prisoners are nonviolent so-called drug offenders. And they are in prison. But you mean to tell me that government officials and employees can violate what you say are our most sacred rights and you know the best you can do is sue them max that don't make sense to me make that you know explain that to me it makes sense to me it makes sense to me this is a bait and switch okay they know you and i know our listeners know that ferguson missouri was neither the worst nor the only case like that Right? Just while they were doing their investigations, they discovered what was going on in the nearby county of uh, Country Club. Remember, where 33,000 arrest warrants were issued out to only 11,000 people? <laughs> and, you know, in a city with only, I think it was only 11,000 people like that. I may have the numbers slightly skewed, but it was a big extreme like that. Uh, and we also have stories tonight, like what was going on in Oklahoma. They, they've seen this as a pattern and practice that happens, happens everywhere. So they're putting our focus on Ferguson, and then they're going to just act like they did something, but as you pointed out, they didn't really do anything. Now, when it comes to the Constitution that our soldiers, politicians, and our police all swear to uphold and defend, that has been shredded. Every right of human beings as citizens has been gutted and violated, 
and every amendment that benefits corporations or politicians has been expanded. I mean, just real quickly, I'm going to go down the major one. The First Amendment has been shot by blocking out 100% black-owned media. The Fourth Amendment is gone with millions of stops and frisks. The Fifth Amendment is gone with thousands of exonerated, innocent, tortured victims. Gone with the, uh, the Sixth Amendment is banished the moment you realize 90% of, 97% of all federal felonies end in a plea bargain. The Eighth Amendment disintegrated with illegal cash bail systems, commercial bail bondsmen, and unethical excessive fines or profit. The Thirteenth Amendment is being exploited by slavery. The Fourteenth Amendment was nullified for convicts by the exception clause of the 13th Amendment, and the 15th Amendment is discredited by gerrymandering, vote purchasing, and cheat programs embedded in corporate-controlled digital voting booths. Those are all constitutional violations. Why are you even holding a gun? I, I mean, I don't understand it. Didn't you swear to defend that, and they are all broken? Those are citizens' rights that are broken, not corporations, not political rights, because the 27th Amendment is not going to wave. They're going to keep getting their raises every few years. Trust that. But why are you holding a gun? Are you working for a corporation instead of defending your nation against uh, enemies, domestic? This is treason. This is what yeah, I'm I mean the supreme. I mean the Constitution supposed to be the highest law of the land. But yet, right. you know, all of these unconstitutional laws passed by politicians are on the books. And then, you know, as I was explaining to someone on Facebook, they had asked the question or made the statement about, you know, police not serving and protecting nobody. And I said, you do know that was the uh, a majority opinion of the uh, Supreme Court where they ruled that Law enforcement officers are to enforce the law, not to protect and serve you. And that was a case that arose out of a domestic violence victim who had a protective order again for herself and her children against, I think it was her ex-husband, husband or boyfriend or whatever. Uh, uh, but anyway, she had a order of protection. He kidnaps the kids, three of her daughters. Um, she calls the police. They refused to enforce the order. They re refused to go get her kids. And then this idiot ends up killing the kids and himself in a hotel. And so she sued the city of or, or the state of Colorado and it went to the Supreme Court. And that's when the Supreme Court said it's not the police job to protect and serve you. It's the police job to enforce law. And, and like we have always stated uh, their main job is slave catching, the same as it has always been, slave catching. And and so they are not there to protect and serve our communities. And anybody that tries to tell you that garbage, then you point them to the Supreme, the recent Supreme Court decision that said that their job is to enforce law. And they are enforcing laws that are unconstitutional so that they can practice the only part of the constitution that they hold dear and that's the 13th amendment the ability to put our asses into slavery right right and you know our next story is going to bring this to kind of a conclusion uh showing this step by step how these things are going on with another blatant example we're going to show you what slave catching sounds like in numbers uh, it will give you a visual of what 
is supposed to have been abolished debtor's prison looks like. Before I go into the story, we're going to check one more time and see if uh, our co-host has got. Yeah, I've been checking, Max. He's not in yet. All right. Yeah, well, good. We got about 10 minutes, which means I got just enough time to give you the story, and then when we come back after the break, we'll go with our comments. This story comes from News OK, and uh, it says multiple fees, fines, and bail charges add to Oklahoma County jail crowd. Then here we go, constitutional violations. The stacking of fees, fines, and bail amounts have turned the Oklahoma County Jail into an overcrowded debtor's prison. A newly released report by the Vera Institute of Justice doesn't flat out call the jail a debtor's prison, but it sure does describe it as one. Currently, money plays an outsized role in who occupies pre-trial beds in Oklahoma County Detection, Detection Center, the Vera Institute said in its initial 14-page report. Vera is a New York-based nonpartisan organization hired by a 17-member task force of Oklahoma County business and community leaders to study and make recommendations about what to do about Oklahoma County's overcrowded jail. When you hear these numbers, you're going to start thinking of slave ships with people stacked on top of people. The jail opened in 1991 with an inmate capacity of 1,200 beds but it had 2,651 people packed within its walls when the Vera researchers visited the facility in November. Researchers found that many of the jail spaces were taken up by people booked on relative minor traffic complaints. Examining one week's worth of jail bookings by the Oklahoma City Police Department, now this adds another dimension, mind you, this is another department, the Oklahoma City Police Department, Researchers found 622 people were booked on 2,035 complaints, an average of more than three complaints each. About 30% of those complaints were non-DUI traffic charges. The great majority, 77%, were for misdemeanors or lower crimes, only 5% of which involved crimes against persons. Arresting officers typically stacked complaints against those they were arresting, accusing them of multiple violations like failure to wear a seatbelt, having a broken taillight, and driving under suspension, researchers noted. Each alleged offense carries its own recommended bail amount. See how they pass it to the next department? Bail, come on over here and get your money. Bail amount under a schedule utilized by judges who add those amounts together in setting bail, researchers said. Individuals who don't have enough money to pay the cumulative bail amount can find themselves sitting in jail for days waiting for the district attorney to file formal charges. This district attorney has 10 days to file charges and frequently would dismiss a number of the arresting officer's complaints, sometimes as part of a plea agreement, researchers said. By the time, by this time, however, indigent suspects may have sat in jail for six days, perhaps losing their jobs and costing taxpayers money. I'm going to finish this up, and you can read the rest on New Abolitionist Radio. Fellow researchers said Oklahoma County judges don't make a determination of an individual's ability to pay before using the bail schedule to set bail, adding there is a strong Supreme Court precedent to suggest the pattern and practice is unconstitutional. Right there. There it is happening right there, a sardine can, a slave ship with 150% overpopulation 
stacked on top of people on top of people for profit. And not just the jails, but they make the whole family suffer. And everybody's being extorted while all these different areas are collecting money from the people who don't have it. And they know you don't have it. That's how you go on the assembly line or go straight to prison. You get the fine. You can't afford the fine. You sit in jail for six days. You lose your job. This has happened to me. <laughs> you lose your job. And then you certainly can't pay the fine, which now has increased. And then you have to stay in jail. And then you don't get a court uh, date because everything ends in a plea bargain. So now they stack charges on you. And before you know it, you're doing 30 years in prison because of a damn traffic stop. Man, I, I, you know, as I hear people talking about a much-needed political revolution, I'm like, man, we need a real revolution. We need a, a great American reset. Because, I mean, the corruption yeah. is just that extensive, man. And it's undeniable. There is nothing theoretical about any of this. This happened. They are doing it. Any investigation the study itself is proof in the pudding. I mean, what the hell else do you need to have? The people went in there and checked the stats for themselves and showed you what's going on. This is unconstitutional. So if you're a soldier, if you're a cop, if you're a politician, politician what did you swear to do and why? Because you, you lied. You're an oath breaker. If you're hearing my voice, then you know you lied. You're an oath breaker. Do something about it. Most of those people who end up in that posi in those positions, man, they just, especially when you're talking law enforcement or military or something like that, um, most of the people they're looking for is, is just will uh, follow orders without question. Well, you know, the Constitution is really being spoken about a lot right now because of the Supreme Court justice position that is available and the president being able to appoint somebody for that position. So now with all these people acting like they know what the Constitution says, maybe we should be shoving this down their damn throat. I agree, man. If you're such an expert on the Constitution, well, here's all these violations. Do something about it. I certainly said as much to um, Mr. Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Patrick McHenry, who is the congressional... Uh, representative for North Carolina District 10 in which I live and he posted a little tribute to uh, Justice Anton Scalia on Facebook talking about he was a patriot and all this and that and I came up and I was like hold up dude let's not rewrite history okay uh, people like to throw around the patriot word quite loosely don't they I was like this dude was at the center of cases that have stripped us of civil liberties and whatnot. So, you know, let's not tell lies and whatnot. Just cause somebody died and they had this position. Uh, he was certainly no patriot. And we're talking about, you know, patriotism towards con the Constitution. Well, you know, that's how they do things. You can go and start a genocide and they'll give you a national holiday. Yeah. <laughs> you know? They, they celebrate these demons who have done some of the most terrible things. Yeah. It's like a national habit. We need to stop that. And that's one of the things we are stopping. I was a witness to it when the flag came down here, thanks to our participation in the event. 
when the flag came down here in South Carolina, all of those things got to come down. You got to stop worshiping devils and look at things as they are right. and not as you want them to be or as they have been romanticized into being. You're living a life of lies. And the most important thing you can do is change your damn mind so people can finally get free of these cages. It's for the best. And <laughs> it really it is. It's, it's for the best. Justice is good. Justice is good for everybody. Injustice only benefits a few. Yes, yes. And I like what Dean said. The establishment, you failed us completely. We need a new one, and we're building it, whether you want it or not. Let's take our uh, next break. Um, I, I'm, I'm getting worried about Johan and myself, man. Um, I know, I know. Right? Yeah, he still hasn't like, called in, know, but let's go ahead and take a break, and we got to keep it moving. Right. Well, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. When we come back, we're going to talk about a president, precedent that's being set in New York, and it's very important. We'll be right back after these messages. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Here with Scotty Reed and Max Parthis. Uh, we're still waiting on our co-host, Johanan Elia. Uh, you know, he's been working for the man for the past year or so and going through some issues. But uh, hopefully he'll make it in tonight so we don't have to worry anymore. Uh, Scotty, would you like to handle the next story? Uh, that's coming out this precedent from the NYPD, where now where they want to make resisting arrest a felony. And we already just mentioned how this all plays out, how they start stacking felonies and turn plea bargains on people who didn't really do anything. So you end up doing 30, 40 years for the most menial stuff after they've accused you of all of this. Well, NYPD is trying to make that even more so now. And if they get away, the whole country can get away. Watch how many people go to prison. Yeah. Um, I'll pull it up. I got it. Uh, this is coming to you from the dailybeast.com. Um, it is a article that was written by, uh, give me just a moment as soon as their website quits doing whatever it's doing. Uh, I can't see his first name, but Mr. Robin uh, wrote this article. Um, he says that two state lawmakers want to make resisting arrest a felony. They believe it would lower the chance of it happening. But opponents say resisting arrest charges are already dropping and that the change is all the charge is already widely misused. If only Eric Gardner wasn't resisting arrest, he would be alive. NYPD defenders told me that. As I covered the months of rage following the July death of the Staten Island man, as police tried to arrest him for peddling allegedly loose cigarettes. I added the allegedly in because that meant that brother ain't getting no trial. He just got an execution. So to and say he got was accused and executed. Yeah, exactly. So to say he was peddling something, where is the proof of that? Uh, anyway, it says there's a lot of uphold. You're told to put your hands behind your back. You do so. One retired detective told me from the pro NYPD side of dueling protests last December across the barricades that frigid night demonstrators chanted that the New York's police are racist 
and terrorists. I love to hear people use appropriate language and accurate language to describe things. Okay. The rancor that convulsed the city has since subsided, at least above the surface. There aren't daily protests. Uh, the police are steadily being retrained in how to interact with New Yorkers. Uh, the leader of a police union even recently exchanged compliments with Mayor de Blasio. But resisting arrest and Garner's death are quietly returning to the debate, risking the reopening of wounds that probably never fully healed. Two New York state lawmakers are seeking to stiffen penalties for resisting arrest. A misdemeanor now. Resisting arrest will become a felony if the perpetrator was previously convicted of, arresting, of, of resisting arrest two or more times in the last 10 years. The offense now can get you a year in prison. That will be up to four years. So I'm going to stop it there. Y'all can read the rest of this of this article uh, if you choose. And all I see this, Max, is another way to target protesters. Okay. And and, right. and, and, and I've seen plenty of videos where people were just lying prone on the ground. Um, and I remember seeing a, a, a black female uh, who was arrested. Um, was on the ground, wasn't resisting, and they was punching this woman, talking about stop resisting. How many videos have we seen of people not resisting, being pummeled by a police while shouting, uh, stop resisting, stop resisting? Right, right. right. You know, and I think it'll go way beyond protesters, though, Scotty. The example they used was a verbal resist, whether he said, put your hands behind your back and you don't. And, you know, we've seen, again, examples with. Like the old man with the cane, walking across the street with his cane. The cop tells him to put it down, and it's a golf club, but he uses it as a cane. She ended up assaulting him, you know? But he would have had faced a year in prison for that, just for that. Yeah. So, I mean, even the the the, the so-called logic that they're using, oh, if, if it had been stiffer penalties, uh, maybe he would still be alive. You know, blaming him for his death it basically is what they're doing. And show me a law that has been put on the books that has stopped one thing, one crime. I mean, rape is illegal, right? I mean, you can even get the death penalty in some states for committing murder. Has that stopped people from committing murder? No, it has not. So, I mean, even even the argument that you're presenting is is deeply flawed. No, this is all about... Uh, creating more slaves for the plantation and getting them more time on the plantation because see you can make a whole lot more money off of them in four years than you can in one so that's what I think what do you think Max I think that these are the black codes circa 2016 I think they're trying to get more jobs for police more jobs for prison guards more guards, uh, money for prison construction more money for budgets for jails and prisons and youth detention centers. And the only way they can do that is by showing increasing numbers of people required to be arrested. And now they're going to have a big number of felony charges. Look at how many felonies increased after 2016. They didn't increase because people started committing more felonies. You turn something as simple as saying, no, officer, I don't have to give you my identification into a freaking felony. Right, right, right. Violating, you know, your constitutional rights. But, um, again, 
this is why it is important. Look, I understand people's frustration with politics and, and their uh, lack of trust of politicians because I don't trust them either. But this is an area that is that controls every other area of people activity that we engage in. And, you know, these are the people that are writing the laws that are putting us in jails and in prisons. And so we can't afford to not be engaged in the process, whether it's getting bills like this blocked or whether it's getting bills passed that will uh, call for greater uh, police accountability. You know, so, I, you know, again, I get the frustration with politics. I want to see this evil system uh, end it as soon as possible, just like everybody else. I do want a great American reset. Let's start over, let's do another, create a new republic, you know. Uh, but until that happens, we can't afford to, 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 uh, 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 you know, just ignore any area of people activity. And politics controls everything. Speaking of politics, we've already told the people about CCA uh, giving major donations to uh, uh, the... Hey, we got Johanna. Uh, peace, Johanna. I was just about to reference you, man. <laughs> peace, brother. Peace. Good to be here. Sorry yeah, I'm so late. Telling that, uh, to, to, today, they had the GEO and CCA quarterly earnings reports, which we pay attention to. And next week, Johanna is going to, you know, give you a breakdown on it, as well as us looking at my commentary. But this is how it all ties together. GEO, TCA, G4S, all of these prison companies are writing our laws. Like, literally, they are the people who are writing the street rights strike laws, writing the minimum sentencing laws, probably behind this push to make resisting arrest a felon. Hey, Johanan, uh, before you come in, yeah. we're getting some echo off of your line. I'm not sure why, why but it is e right. echoing. So uh, I don't, I know how difficult it is to work on stuff on the fly during the middle of the program. So if you could, when you're right, not right. speaking, just you. mute yourself. All right. All right. I'm going to leave your line open. So um, y'all, please continue. Sorry for the interruption. Well, Welcome, welcome home. <laughs> That's all I got to say right now. Welcome home, Yannick. Right on. We're talking about the GEO. We are going to talk about both of the, the uh, earnings calls for both of them next week. And uh, a commentary on those st stories related to that just always shows me, you know, how, how deeply rooted these problems that we discuss every week really are. I mean, the people that will look and follow these stories on investment-specific uh, websites, um, and that will talk about the earnings calls or talk about, you know, the ratings of their stock and buys and, you know, sales and all this kind of stuff. Whenever you read the comments on it, it's, it's almost as depressing as reading the comments under, you know, videos or stories about, you know, unarmed people getting shot and killed by police or, you know, seeing a video of a cop running somebody over that's running down the street. I mean, just crazy stuff where people are just coming completely out of left field like, well, you know, you don't want to get run over by cops. Don't do crime. <laughs> like, idiot, there was no crime committed. That's what they found, you know. Well, uh, and it's the same thing on these kind of pages, and it's amazing to me. I mean, these are informed individuals that are working, you know, in the money markets specifically and, and well-trained and, 
and typically, you know, established in, in with a history of this type of thing. They know it's not just focusing on prisons. Like when we talk about po uh, police and prisons and all these things, you know, you're going to get a, a specific part of the community that may not study anything really at all. They just want to say something ignorant. But when you're finding a website or an article specific to investments, and then you see people just like, oh, man, this is a great buy. I've already increased my whatever, whatever. You know, I've already increased my bottom line. I don't know why more people don't buy. I mean, it's comp it's ridiculous when you look at the – and I saw that today talking about the geo uh, call where people were just on there like, you know, uh, geo uh, – Missed their earnings mark by like 13 million or something. They made 500, 498 million or something. They're supposed to be making like 515 or something. But anyway, they're all just saying like what a great buy it is and they don't understand why more people. So I always make an abolitionist comment and they just totally miss what I'm saying every time. Like, well, I mean, these people got to go to jail somewhere, so I might as well make money off of it. Yeah. But yeah, next week we'll get into the death zone. Word. So, there you have your story and your connection about what's going on. And, you know, there are people fighting. As a matter of fact, shout out to the student activists uh, in Washington University for demanding that the university cut ties with prison. We've been seeing student organization after student organization do this, where these universities, multi-billion dollar universities, uh, like uh, uh, University of California, has so many billions of dollars and have 30 or 40 or 50 million dollars invested in private prisons. To them, it's nothing. But it's destroying our lives and it's a conflict of interest. You should not be invested in how many of your students go to prison. You know, that, uh, that's a great point, Max. When you got the state and apparatuses of the state investing in private prisons, then there, it should be no surprise that Kamala Harris, the California Attorney General, would argue with the Supreme Court and say, no, we can't reduce our overcrowding and mass incarceration because we need that cheap labor pool. Plus, they're making money. Hand over fist. Your body is the only commodity they ever needed. Well, I guess that leads us to our next story. We're going to show you how bad it is on an individual level. Because at some point, once all of these uh, oppressive laws trickle down, it hits the police department, the marshals, or FBI, well, you have to enforce these things. You have to make a decision. Is this line in the sand morally something you're going to cross? Is it constitutionally valid and you're going to walk invalid and you're going to walk across it anyway? You have to make that choice. Well, apparently seven U.S. Marshals made a choice like that. They suddenly become tax collectors. And now they're arresting people armed with automatic weapons surrounding someone's house for a student loan from three decades ago. And the story that we have here comes from the New York Daily News. Houston man arrested by seven U.S. Marshals for not paying $1,500 student loans from 1987. Uh, Paul Aker said he was surprised at his Houston home on Thursday by seven people in combat gear. They grabbed me. They threw me down. The 48-year-old Aker told the Daily News on Tuesday, local PD is just standing there. Now, these are two different departments that are complicit. PD is just standing there watching it happen. They know what's going on. This man is being thrown into a jail because of a debt to a private corporation. 
Aker says he didn't receive any notice or warning about the loan, which he received in 1987 at Prairie View A&M University. He said he noticed a suspicious truck in front of his house on Thursday morning. When someone approached, he ran back into the house. Later that morning, a bunch of armed marshals with combat weapons showed up at his door. I say, what is this all about? Aker told the news. They say, shut up. You know what this is all about. I don't have a clue. When Aker continues to ask, they continue to say, you know what this is all about, he said. Eventually, he was told it was about a 30-year-old student loan. You could have sent me a letter. You could have called me, Aker said. The U.S. Marshal said later in court that they had the firepower because Aker had a gun, but he disputes that. You were already at my door, he said. It was because they knew I was a registered gun owner, and it's out of control, out of control, he continues. What if they had seen a gun on me? They would have shot me for $1,500 that I owe to a damn corporation. That's as far as I'm going with the story. You see how bad it's gotten. They're sending out these armed police marshals to collect debt. Shouldn't be a shock to anyone. It really shouldn't. Um, yeah, I just feel like, man, that, that we're not fighting so much against people's ignorance of the problems. I think we really need to be uh, not saying that you or I or, you know, people that are, you know, active in the movements are not focused on this. But I'm just saying, like, the, the general public um, needs to be more focused on how active the people are that generate their, you know, their wealth off of these things. It's not just a matter of, like, people don't know or are they just they just never thought about it. And I mean, if if ignorance in a in a vacuum was the problem well then of course awareness would be you know the answer to it but it's that's not the only issue it's not just ignorance in a in a vacuum in a black void of just well i just didn't know this was going on that's not really the issue the issue and what's driving this is the people that generate wealth off of it and that includes all of those officers that includes all the administration that includes all the people that that are involved in cutting their checks and get benefits based on this and that. I mean, it's people get their hands out all up and down the line in this thing. And those are all the people that will not stop doing this, maybe even upon pain of death. I mean, if you're really honest about it, what else are they going to do? They're making $100,000 a year. You know how tough it is to find a job for hundred grand a year. Most of these law enforcement positions pay very well. Unlimited overtime, always justified overtime. We live in a nation based on fear, every kind of fear tactic. So when you look at what you're really up against, you're up against people who are armed and trained and have the benefit of uh, of never being, you know, considered to be dishonest, being their their reputation being unapproachable, you know. So they're in a power position in every way, and they can always justify doing BS like this. If they want to do it, they're going to get away with doing it. And if they want to do it, it's based on the fact that they're getting money out of it. They're, they're not doing it for any other reason. They're getting paid. It costs the police department more than $1,500 to get in the cars and drive to his house. It costs the taxpayer more than 1500 for them to do that, to get geared up, get in the car, yeah. and just go to his house. Yeah. Yeah. It. I mean, I believe it. Uh, again, I mean, it, it's always about the money. I mean, in, in the private prison situation in most of these states, it costs the state several million dollars a year to send 
these kidnapped individuals to private prisons versus using the state facilities. And in a lot of cases, when they do end up closing the state facility so they can have a headline moment on PBS Evening News, the hour or whatever, say, oh, so-and-so, you know, Vermont closed the state prison today, so the crime rates are down and the prison population is down, they're lying. They're not sending these people, they're not uh, letting people out, and they're not uh, stopping what's going on. What they're doing is sending them to private prisons where they pay more money, there's more lawsuits, worse care, more people dying in custody, more abuse, and the states pay millions and millions of dollars a year. Each individual state, we were talking about last week, Colorado would generate $800 million, over $800 million in, in revenue off marijuana legalization, $135 million in tax revenues, sent $30 million to, this, to the state school systems. Well, the state, as far back as 2009, 2010, in those years, they were spending around 2 to $3 million a year, wasting 2 to $3 million a year to send th- over 3,000 inmates to CCA's private prisons in the state. And in that state, they did have those 80 and 90% to capacity contracts that are in, that are in place for 20 to 25 years. So you're talking about not just wasting $3 million this year. You're talking about wasting $3 million for the next 25 years by law, by the contract. Your state are $3 million, but it's yes. for the prison. Yes, yes. And for the people that invest in it. That's why them guys are on them websites. Like, I don't understand why more people don't get into it. Hell, it's guaranteed money. <laughs> yeah, you can make up to 50% in returns on just municipal jail bonds. And it's tax-free. That's incentive for people to buy into these private prisons and private jails and municipal jail bonds and things. You know, there's going to come a day, and you can count on it, guarantee it, mark my words, and I don't think I've ever said that before. There is going to come a day of accountability as sure as there was a day of accountability for the not. And they are going to look at records, and they're going to say, did you really arrest this guy? For a 30-year-old student loan? Was that what you was really doing? That's the same thing the Nazis was doing when they were collecting people. You're going to be held accountable. You better make a decision which side of history you're going to be on soon. Because as Muhaddin said, we are in the streets now. We have We are not apathetic, and we are going to vote. We're going to make changes in one way or another. This is going to be turned on its head. It's going to be Scotty Reed's restart. Listen, this also reminds me of, again, you know, our study of, of all the different state constitutions to see if they mirror the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And, you know, also, I would also find, you know, like here in North Carolina, that debtors' prisons have been outlawed, but it's actually been outlawed all over the United States, according to a Supreme Court decision that outlawed debtors' prisons in the United States. So again, once again, we have law enforcement officers who who care more about throwing people in the jail, you know, for corporations instead of actually upholding the Constitution, the highest law of, of the land. And and this is again, this is why I have no respect for the law because they don't respect the law the lawmakers and the law enforcers are in fact lawbreakers and this again you know what I want to know Scotty? what's that of those of those seven marshals did they just say you seven and all seven of them said okay but did they have any dissent at all where they had to go is anybody volunteer probably like, you know, not what about you 
I, I just wonder how that played out. Did they just jump to it? Or did they see the thing and said, oh, what? That was cool, long. And somebody said, no, I ain't doing this. Well, guess what else, though, I found out. I just wanted to do a quick search on Texas and debtors' prisons. And, you know, it's mentioning in, the, in a couple of these articles about the Supreme Court outlawing debtors' prisons. But guess what else they throw people in, in prison for in Texas? For, for, for not repaying predatory loans. So imagine, and, and we know who's targeted by the predatory loan industry. So again, you, you know, that's why I don't have any respect, man, for so-called law enforcement, man. I know that's been programmed into many, oh, they're here to protect and serve us. But again, I keep pointing you to the Supreme Court and what they say and whatnot. So again, we know it was law enforcers that was enforcing uh, Jim Crow, okay, uh, the, the, you know, black uh water fountains and negro entrance through the back and all that kind of stuff these are what laws on the books man and so i'm telling you man police historically are part of the most corrupt institution known to man word well we got about eight minutes left Scotty, and it may be before we get into our, our regular segment support it may be just enough time to share that video with people uh, of the layoffs that happened in Indiana, maybe give a little commentary on how this connects to modern-day slavery and human trafficking here in the United States and abroad as well. You can find it over there. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I'm looking for it now. It's kind of heartbreaking, as I said. I experienced this personally. It's not much I haven't experienced when it comes to this system, man. And I watched it happen in my own community, my own family, the jobs were taken and sent to these other nations that were willing to pay workers less and not give them any kind of benefits or any oversight for their health and safety and welfare, which is criminal in itself. What they're looking for is slave labor. And then they leave this vacuum where poverty occurs. And the next thing you know, criminality starts existing. And then disrepair occurs. And all these things, one after the other, until you've got a brand new crop. Of people that you can arrest and send in the prison. Um, I found the video. Indiana. I got I got the video. But let, let me let me say this before I play the video on the issue of poverty. And again, it's not that I support any political candidate. I support platforms. I support bills and things of that nature that is going to alleviate the pressure of racism and white supremacy, uh, uh you know, slavery and human trafficking from. Uh, poor communities but I have to say the only politician I have heard of late talk about poverty issues is Bernie Sanders man if you pay attention to most of these politicians they talk about the middle class pulling up the middle class and it's protecting the middle class and they never ever have have any kind of words concerning the poor uh, unless it's demonizing them and saying we need to lock these people up. So here's that video. Um, 1400 Indiana jobs is, is the title, I think. Something like that. Yes. All right. Here, here we go. It became clear that the best way to stay competitive and protect the business for long term is to move production from our facility in Indianapolis to Monterey, Mexico, 
Listen, you've got, I've got information that's important to share as a part of the transition. If we can go ahead, if you don't want to hear it, other people do. So let's quiet down. Thank you very much. We also intend to relocate the distribution center from Indianapolis as well. Relocating our operations to Monterey will allow us to maintain high levels of product quality at competitive prices and continue to serve the extremely price sensitive marketplace. I want to be clear, this is strictly a business decision. Once again, let's please get more information to share. And by no means a reflection of the performance of this facility or any individual within it. It is important that you understand that there will be no impact on jobs today. In fact, the first transition would not take place until the middle of 2017. We expect the move to take place in phases over approximately three years as we ramp down our operations in the Indianapolis facility. We expect the transition to continue through 2019. This announcement is, of course, subject to discussions with our local union representatives. We will sit down with officials from the union oh, in the coming days. Throughout the transition, we must remain committed to manufacturing the same high-quality products. Oh, there goes the yeah, fuck you. Hey, Scotty, let's kill it. Let's kill it, Scotty. Let's go. It's heartbreaking for me, man, because Once again, how many thousands of times have we heard this without the video? Had this occurred in the United States, this is tantamount of treason. You were sending these jobs to Mexico so you can exploit foreign nations at the expense of United States citizens. And you allow private interests to do it. Yeah. To uh, destroy entire communities the and exploit the trucking uh, yes, company, the trucking company that my daughter, one of my daughters, works for, Daimler, uh, North American uh, tr Truck Unit, uh, which makes Freightliner trucks. Uh, they laying off 1,200 here in North Carolina, and um, fortunately, you know, um, my daughter's plant, which is here in Mount Holly, will not be affected by the layoffs. But that's 1,200 people that's gonna be out of work, man. May I remind you that here in North Carolina, which used to be, um, you know, a mecca for textiles, cotton mills all over the place, that they were the number one employers of people here in North Carolina. Those have virtually shut down and gone overseas. And those jobs that didn't go overseas went to the prisons, textiles and prisons and whatnot. And so now, you know, now you're seeing 1,200 laid off. Um, you know, Two here. Class, they said. Yeah. And so, and, and so again, man, it's getting, it's getting to the point to where, you know, I don't, I don't know what people are going to do for money. You know, I, I know here in Gaston County, you know, uh, the, uh, they sell a whole lot of drugs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and what that part is we're going to buy that same product when it's sent back after it's built in Mexico. I don't know how, how you're going to buy it if you can't get, if you don't have a job. See, that's the whole thing right there. 
with all of these corporations saying, well, we're looking to, you know, stay competitive with our pricing and, and whatnot. Well, who the hell is going to buy it here in the United States if you're laying off everybody, you know? And, and, and so, again, man, they got slavery playing for everybody, man. I'm telling you, man, they, they got they going to have slavery for half the country and, and employ the rest of the country as the slave catchers and a, a plantation overseers. That's where I see this country headed. Johanna, anything? Next up, next up, yeah, I was. I wanted you to uh, to share with us. You know, like I, I understand what you're saying as far as just the un unemployment aspect of it, and you know, this is just going to increase crimes of survival. Obviously, um, I don't know. I mean, it just it's. I don't know. I, I'm not really one. I don't. I don't get into the vote deal because this is the kind of thing that I feel like people should damn well know by now. It's not. What are we in ninth grade? Like you are you that unaware as to what the hell goes on in this country? I figured this job out in my first election, nineteen ninety two, Bill Clinton. I I understood what was going on then as an eighteen year old kid, my first time voting, I could see what was happening then. So how are people thirty, forty, fifty, sixty years old just playing dumb like they don't know what's happening? When Bill Clinton got in office and signed NAFTA and GATT treaties, and we all mm -hmm. sat here and saw or became victims of in some way or another all of these thousands and thousands of jobs just evaporating. Right. But people's but people still I mean I don't know, man. It's like it's like uh different strokes back in the day to gooch or something, you know, like this bully to just come and everybody just bow down as Debo or something. Everybody just scared of, what you're not gonna have a life if you don't stand up to this system and figure out right. some kind of way. To either just start tearing this job down, stop participating, stop giving your consent, stop pretending like it's not going to be you, and it's it's your damn your brother, your sister, your cousin, your child. I mean, it's somebody. This this is not going to work. This is not sustainable. It's not an economy. It's a financial system. It's not an economy because an economy can continue to operate off of its own self. It's economical. It's able to continue to sustain itself. This system cannot sustain itself. Everything in this country's reality is some kind of propped up mess. It's propped up on the bodies of slaves, the underclass, the poor, the mentally ill, the physically disabled, the underrepresented and underprivileged are propping up everything, raping yeah. the earth of resources. I mean, come on, man. And, and this Johanna, is not going to stop happening. And Johanna, and then we got Obama in the Trans-Pacific. Uh, uh, mm. partnership right, that's right, going to hit right. us, and I know the you shared. Yeah, you shared an article uh the other day, Johanan, and I shared it on Black Talk Radio News, where uh President Obama is now closing a slavery loophole in the uh 1930s Tariff Act that allows them to import uh goods produced by slave labor. If the American market isn't able to meet demand. So he's going back and he's closing that slavery loophole because I imagine it has something to do with somebody said something about it during negotiations for the Trans-Pacific, you know, uh, uh, partnership agreement, which I've heard is NAFTA on steroids. But again, you know, the hypocrisy of him saying, well, we don't want any fish that may have been caught by slaves being imported 
into the United States. But oh, you ain't got a problem with prison slaves processing that fish, poultry, and meat, you know, right here in America. So man, I man, every day I just hope that the revolution is one day closer. I spent the last thirty years studying complexity theory and chaos theory. It's just a pet peeve private thing of mine. I've been studying it in depth many, many years. And what this is called is the niche conditions of being. It's where you see these patterns that start out as the beginning. Poof, take the jobs out. Poof, vacuum occurs, people fall into poverty. As I said earlier, the houses start going into disrepair. People start getting preyed upon by predatory lenders who move into the neighborhood. And you can watch it as one thing happens after another, and then the cops start surrounding the neighborhood because now everybody's preying on each other. Poverty's come in, crime has risen, people don't have anything. They're growing up, kids growing up just wanting to get anything because they don't have anything. And before you know it, you've got a whole brand new crop that you can start from that initial seed and sow from 20 years later. Maybe not even that long. Sometimes it just takes five years. Well, well, get ready. In November, in November, you can vote yourself out of it, people. So just uh, pick a candidate and grab your ankles and vote for the best. We're going to take our break. When we come back on the other side, we're going to give you our uh, regular scheduled segment, which will be the rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad and our abolitionist in profile. We'll be right back after these messages. I'm sorry, guys. Did I miss something? Yeah, you missed the break. We we, we five minutes past our break. Okay, I'm sorry. I got distracted by my grandson. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, yeah, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be right back. <laughs> Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, we're going to go into our next segment, which is our rider of the 21st century underground railroad. We call it that because we needed an underground railroad. And although we don't have a north for freedom, there are people who are gaining their freedom from incarceration after many, many years of brutality and suffering. Innocent men and women all across America in record numbers, never before seen in this country, walking out free men and women thanks to many organizations like the Innocence Project. Today's rider of the 21st century Underground Railroad is Daniel Villain, the Hispanic man who was imprisoned after confessing to a brutal crime that he didn't commit. He will be the feature of a Dateline NBC uh, Inquisitor brought... Oh, well, let me read that again. He will be the feature of then Dateline NBC. Last Friday... Inquisitor brought you Dateline's interview with Bill Cosby's sexual assault accusers. In tonight's Dateline episode, entitled The Confession, viewers will learn about the case of Daniel Villegas and victims Armando Laza and Robert England. 
uh, Lazo in England died in a fatal shooting in Texas in the 1990s. Around that get tough on crime bill, Villegas, who confessed to killing them, was arrested and found guilty of murder. He did 20 years in prison before he was exonerated this year. Now, this is from 2015. The murder made headlines in 1993, right about the same time that Hillary Clinton was saying super predators. That's when police received a call that two teen boys had been sh- shot in a drive-by shooting. Upon arriving at the scene, the investigators found the bodies of 16-year-old Armando Lazo, a.k.a. Mondo, and Robert England, whose name is also spelled in London. During the police investigation, law enforcement officials zeroed in on Daniel Villegas, then bullied him into making a confession. Villegas was only 16 years old at the time, and neither his parents nor his lawyer were present during the police interrogation. This is pattern and practice, people. All during the Get Tough on Crime, they had carte blanche to do this to children. People who knew Daniel were positive that he had not committed this crime and nothing linked him to the case, but the police felt pressured to get the case solved and believed that Daniel Villegas was their man. False confession and wrongful conviction cases are the most difficult cases to try in court because most people don't believe that an innocent person would admit to committing a murder. However, there are countless numbers of innocent people who have confessed to crime. Some confess to crimes they didn't commit because they want to be part of a famous case. Others cite intimidation and fear of police as a factor for confessing. As in the case with Daniel Villegas, police officers used physical force to get him to say what, that he killed the team. Now, we know they're going so far as to twisting off your testicles with pliers. <laughs> Lego stated that they also cornered him and yelled in his face at different times during the interrogation. Daniel Villegas' story is similar to the one from the late 1980s when another teen confessed to the murder of his classmate. In that case, a teenage girl was attending a spend-the-night party at the boy's home but was found murdered in the backyard the next day. The shock community members wanted police to find a killer, which prompted them to put pressure on the teen to confess. When his parents finally arrived at the police station, they were held in another room for hours without being able to talk to their son. The boy's case was finally overturned years later. The victim's case has never been solved. It took two te- decades for Daniel Villegas to finally get justice thanks to a local man named John Mimbella, a Latino businessman who fought for Villegas after seeing his photo from 1993. According to Mimbella, once he took a look at the photo of Daniel Villegas, he knew that he was an innocent man. Mimbella's feelings about the case mimic the feelings of many others who don't quite trust the police. This is seen in some of the comments on Dateline's Facebook page about the miscarriage of justice. Welcome to Freedom, freedom Brother Villegas. Welcome to Freedom. Welcome to Freedom. Man. Just, um, you know, I'm shocked that... Uh, John Burge and the Chicago Police Department aren't the only ones that torture people for convictions. I'm just shocked, I tell you. Yeah. Man. So this is the thing, fellas, is the this is the the um this is the foundation of so called justice in, in, in our country. So as long as stories like this are you know, like I said, like the the bedrock, the foundation, like that's the that's the the the, the reality of the ground level. 
of law enforcement, the justice system, you know, the, the difference between being free or incarcerated, you know, whether it's life imprisonment or losing 5, 10, 25, 30, 40 years, you know, solitary confinement, abuses, medical, uh, being denied medical assistance, uh, everything that we know and report on. This is the this is the foundation of it. See, the foundation of the reality of freedom in this country is not uh, oh beautiful for spacious skies and amber waves of rain. That's not the base. That's not the basis. That's really like the one percent dream. That's the upper middle class and up reality that they're able to create for themselves as best they can upon the backs of the of the lowest among us. But for the masses of people walking around in this country, whether they're born here or immigrate here, have jobs at some point, lose the job. I mean, whatever your situation is, you always know that at the bottom of it all, when you get done smiling and joking and pretending and chasing tail and drinking beer and hanging out and watching the Super Bowl and just trying to just act like ain't none of this going on, that's what's really waiting for you out here. You could be in this situation in the twinkle of an eye and it's over. You're gone. Nobody's going to want to worry about getting you out except for a handful of people with the Innocence Project or some abolitionists somewhere. Somebody maybe from your church might be able to start a, a drive or something, but really there's not going to be any kind of a mass movement. Nobody's going to care. You're going to be gone for decades, innocent, tortured. Somebody forced you, and you're just gone. That's the reality. People, come on into this reality and accept what's going on so we can stop this. Oh man, we must have lost Max. Um, we know he deep in the woods down here in South Carolina. So uh, hopefully Max will be able to uh, give us a call back. Um, I do believe our next segment is the abolitionist in profile. I think yeah, ain't that right, Johanna? Yes, sir. Charles Lewis tonight. Did you pre-record this one? Or no, I didn't have an here? opportunity to pre-record it. Did you want to go ahead and and uh? Read it. I can pull it up here, sir, and we can carry on until we get our good brother Max back on the line here. Of course, when I'm trying to pull it up, the computer's got a forever spinning little little wheel here for me. It don't want to go fast enough. But uh, you Charles uh, Charles Lewis is going to be our abolitionist in profile tonight, 1818 through 1893, a political activist and abolitionist. Uh, played a prominent role in the Negro Convention movement in New York, so we will have him if I can ever get a link to pull up on this deal. And yes, like you said, Max is uh, in a in a deep woods, undisclosed uh, location, so we have to <laughs> try to get him get him back on on the line. Which I mean, you know, he's he's got it may be um, good fortune that fell his way to have him in the situation he's in, and we all gonna be looking for some place to. To, to to put the, well, you already in the you kind of in the woods too, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm the only one in the city. I'm gonna have to find a, find my way back out back out to the woods too. Cause when it goes down, it's 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 gonna change things quite a bit. Okay, the uh, abolitionist in profile link here is still okay. I'm gonna try to get here. We go. And all right, I got it up. You ready? Cue the music, Scotty. I'm ready. Nice abolitionist in profile is 
Charles L. Reason. Charles L. Reason was born July 21st, 1818 in New York City. His parents, Michelle and Elizabeth Reason, were immigrants from Haiti who arrived in the United States shortly after the Haitian Revolution of 1793. His parents emphasized the importance of education. And very early on, the young Reason displayed an aptitude for mathematics when he was a student at the New York African Preschool. Reason began his teaching career when he was 14 years old. He saved what he could of his teacher's $25 per year salary to continue his own education with tutors. A political activist and abolitionist, Reason played a prominent role in the Negro Convention movement in New York. In 1837, Reason joined Henry Highland Garnett, among others, in an effort to gain voting rights for African-American men, and he was later one of the co-authors of The Call for the New York Negro Convention of 1840. Reason's philosophy of education was founded on the presumption that industrial education, the manual arts, was a pivotal means to African freedom. Unlike Booker T. Washington, however, Reason saw the importance of both industrial and classical education and even started at a normal school teacher's training college in New York City. When the predominantly white Free Mission College, later renamed the New York Central College, opened in Cortland County, New York in 1849, it admitted black students and hired Reason to serve on the faculty. In so doing, Reason became the first African-American to teach at a predominantly white college. The magnitude of Reason's appointment can be measured against the fact that prior to 1840, no more than 15 black students had attended white colleges ever. Reason, who was professor of Bell, Let's Greek, Latin, Latin, French, and adjunct professor of mathematics at Central College, was joined by two other African-American scholars in 1850, George B. Vachon and William Allen. After three years at Central College, Reason left to assume the position of principal at the Institute for Colored Youth in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Founded in 1837, it was one of the best schools for African Americans in the country. Reason increased student enrollment, expanded the library's holdings, and exposed the students to outstanding African American intellectuals and leaders of that time. Reason remained at the Institute for Colored Youth for three years and then returned to New York City, where he became an administrator of schools in New York City. One of the high points of his career as a New York City educator was in leading the fight in 1873 to end racial segregation in the city's public schools. A prolific writer, Reason wrote political journalism as well as poetry. His most noted poems are Freedom, The Spirit, Voice, and Silent Thoughts. Charles L. Reason died in 1893. And New Abolitionist Radio salutes you. Charles L. Reason. Salute. Early abolitionists. It's all about that education. He knew we needed the trades, just like we need the trades now. I work with contractors all over the country every single day. And the main A number one thing that almost every one of these people talks about, from Alaska to Florida, from Vermont to Hawaii, everywhere in between, Man, I just can't hire any good guys. Nobody's trained anymore. We don't have enough skilled guys that can come in and, and do the work. And here we have all of these. I mean, what do they talk about? The black unemployment rate is, is typically in the 35 to 40 percent range. People getting I mean, made off in the thousands all over the country. Yeah. You know what stood yeah. out for me, yeah. Joe, bro? He's a poet. <laughs> you know, a poet well, always been in the forefront of everything, man. If you want to know what's going on with a country, just read his poetry. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. But I do so. Well, we got um, our. Oh, go ahead. I, I do ahead. so. Um, uh, look forward to hearing about abolitionists. We try to. Uh, we try not to do the same ones. You know, more than once. But you know, they're kind of hard to find, man. They hard. They hide these people, man, from us. Until oh, yeah. we came along, Scotty. The common uh, 
assumption was that the abolitionist movement was primarily a white movement. Right. We're right, the ones that right. changed that narrative. Right. By showing right. you these people and sharing their stories. Now, we have highlighted, you know, white abolitionists because an abolitionist is an abolitionist, <laughs> you know. But uh, right. we have done our best to show because to go against that false narrative that other people freed us. No, we freed our damn selves. Other people might have lent a hand or joined the fight on our side, but we basically freed ourselves. There's a quote, and I forget who said it, but it said, the first abolitionist was the first enslaved African. Exactly. Right. That's what I'm talking about, the first enslaved African. We've got a, a few minutes. Uh, do we have any callers on the line? and. Then we're going to go into our final conference. Um, we have callers on the line, but they don't have any questions. All right. Callers, if you uh, want to ask a question before we call it a night here, just press our system one. Better do it quick because the yes, Lotus Place quick. Radio is coming up at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern. And we certainly invite you to make your comments heard. Uh, otherwise, we'll go right into our Well, which one of you brothers would like to start this evening off with some final comments? I'll start I'll start it off. Um I just again want want to give a shout out to uh, Max. I'm gonna get his name down. I was trying Mu-Hadim. to practice it today. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. Mu Hadin. Mu Hadin. Mu Hadin uh uh what's the last name again? D Baha. Dibaha. I'm going to practice that name because I'm hoping that I'm going to hear a whole lot more from that young abolitionist. And again, I just want to give him a big shout out. And, you know, I was just so ecstatic to hear somebody telling the truth on corporate television, on national TV to millions of people. That the Thirteenth Amendment did not abolish slavery, and that the, and that slavery still exists. And just the whole way that he handled himself, um, considering how they were trying to set him up, considering how they were trying to uh, make him look like he didn't know what he was talking about, and he was floating these crazy conspiracy theories and whatnot. He still kept his cool. He he remained respectful. And he stuck to the truth. And he told the truth. Because in a land of liars, uh, truth-telling is truly revolutionary. So, big shout-out to you, brother. Indeed. Indeed. I just want to uh, remind everyone that, you know, join us next week. We're going to get into the GEO Group's uh, earnings calls. And uh, that's really been something I've been watching. You know, last week was CCA's uh, uh quarterly earnings call uh, last uh, Thursday, so the day after the last program we did, and then, you know, today was the GEO Group. Um, and there's plenty of other corporations that are making, uh, you know, millions and hundreds of millions of dollars uh, off of private prison slavery, uh, uh, generating revenue off of writing the laws and uh, buying off your politicians and making sure that the laws that they write that benefit them are being put into place. Um, people, this is not uh, fear-mongering rhetoric. This is not conspiracy theory. These are conspiracies, and it is a fact. So, you know, it's really time for us. It's past time, honestly, 
um, you know, I have young children and I'm watching them grow up. I don't recognize their faces half the time. They look like whole new people. They still are getting taller and older and faces looking different. Time is passing and we're spending our entire reality in a, in the reality of slavery and in the reality of the bad guys winning every day. When's the last time that the free people, that the real people, the righteous people had a, had a victory? You have to look back on your life and ask yourself, when was the last time we had a victory? When was the last time we turned the tables? When was the last time we struck a blow that hurt the bag? I don't, I don't know of a time. They always win. They always keep everybody sleep and happy and chilling and acting like ain't nothing too bad. And I got enough for me and mine and I'm going to go get me a drink and I'm going to go have me some good eats and then, and, and we going to party and act like ain't nothing wrong. And we're all suffering because of this. You're not going to vote your way out of this. You're not going to ignore it. You're not going to go to church enough to where it's not going to be happening. You're not going to make enough money on your job where it doesn't affect you. It's going to continue to drag us all down. So let's look seriously at this. Let's look forward to next week. We're going to give you the nuts and bolts of the financial side of it, of uh, two of the major companies that are generating. Geo Group earned $500 million last quarter off of slavery. CCA earned over $500 million last quarter off of slavery. Nothing else. Nothing else. They, they don't, they're not telling you the money that they made off of those contracts they have with corporations. They're not even reporting on that, that money that they're making. They're telling you the money they're getting off taxpayer dollars for kidnapping, helping the kidnap, incentivizing the kidnapping, and then once they get kidnapped, enslaving those people. So let's join us next week. Peace to the abolitionists, death to the oppressors. Uh, like Scotty, I want to give a shout out to my brother Muadim Dibaha. Keep on fighting. Uh, we got back all the way, brother. I've got a project I've been working on called How Legalized Slavery Exists in America. It's a four-part series. Part one is called Lincoln's Betrayal. It really simplifies it so anybody can understand it. The next part will be Nixon's Revenge. Uh, I'll put that on New Abolitionist Radio so you can check it out. It's something you can share with people to open their eyes on how it happens and they can see it in a simplified manner. Know what's going on. Max, before I'll we be go off air, please tell people how they can uh, catch you live at Hot Springs uh, in Hot Springs, North Carolina, this month. That's exactly what I was going on to. Exactly. Uh, we'll be in Hot Springs, North Carolina, this weekend. As a matter of fact, Saturday. It's called the Blueprint: Race, Crime, and Real Estate, and we'll be there along with other activists and artists at Hot Springs at Azul, a place of retreat for artists. So if you want to come see us live spend some time with us a whole weekend, come on out. Uh, the place is beautiful. It's literally like a castle, and it was built by a one-armed woman who lost her arm during the Nazi occupation of France. She's an amazing person who built this house all by herself, and it's a wonderful place. Come check it out and build with us over the weekend. Um, I would like to also read something real quick, and that will be my closing statement. Okay. Just like Twin Towers happened on Bush's watch, so did mass incarceration happen on the watch of our black political establishment. In 1970, there were less than 200,000 prisoners nationwide. Today, there are 2.4 million, with 24 million going through the system every year. As you recite your illustrious history by rote, don't act like you didn't notice all the millions of missing people. Let me guess. You've always been fighting mass incarceration, right? Well, we need new champions because your perpetual losses a real fatality. Somebody supported the Clinton's bill, crime bill. Was it you? Somebody wanted tough on crime laws. Was it you? 
somebody voted to decrease money for public defenders by more than half and increase money for prisons by 1,200%. Was it you? Somebody is voting to close schools and open prisons all in the same cities. Was it you? Somebody taking money from the private prisons right now, and I want to know, was it you? What I do know is that abolition is a reason for a revolution. So we can find it in peace. Hey you, what? Get up out the seat. I got a soul for treat with the disco beat. Well, the young and old, the lack of both be. So take some time while you're trucking on down. And listen, and listen, and listen, and listen, and listen to the best MCs in town. Well, 